Well, that was a very personal prayer directed at me. If you don't know, that's my wife, so that was appropriate and not weird. Thank you. I feel, I feel good. So I would like to start by saying about three weeks ago, I, uh, you know, in preparation for this, I cut back on carbs and I started eating better a little bit. And this is it. This is all that happened. So this is as good as it gets. And if you see me next week or if you see me uh, in the following weeks and I look a little like puffier or like you can tell like, yeah, it's because I immediately started eating carbs right after this sermon. Um, And as I did say, my name is Bradley and I'm an elder here. Um, and the word elder seems like I should be older than 35, but God is crazy, and this is, this is what it is. Um, some of you were here for my commissioning, and uh, during that, I mentioned that, um, that eldership seems like it would come with a fancy hat. Because in other religions, I feel like as you progress, and I mentioned this, that um, you, know, you get fancy hats. Well, I do want to report, um, I did receive a hat, but it was actually a jester's hat, and I'm not sure what to make of that. But aside from that, I have not received any other hats, robes, or cool patches or anything. Maybe this is your first time uh, to church, or maybe this is your first time back to church in a long time, and you're like, what's all this elder stuff? What's all this churchy lingo? Well, an elder is essentially um, another pastor and a group of pastors that come alongside our senior pastor, who is Tim Birdwell, and we are responsible for the congregation, and we're responsible to help uh, shepherd the congregation. It's, um, it's a very heavy role. It comes with a lot of accountability, and it's not a glamorous one, but it is a calling. And um, I do feel that we, my wife and I have been called to this church and as an elder. And the reason we feel that way is because we see this church, Phoenix Bible Church, as a kingdom outpost. We say that, that's like a thing that we say, but what that means is that this is an outpost for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus, where we can go forth, spread the gospel, love the people around us, and this is what PBC is all about. And that's why I'm really happy to be an elder here. When I first found out what scripture I was going to be speaking on today, um, I was a little overwhelmed. And uh, there are two other elders, and sorry if you notice I'm wearing the same shirt as in the picture. And if you didn't notice, now now you did. Um, And I'm okay with that. Um, I have like four shirts. So, um, but anyways, amen. it's okay. Uh, so we have two other elders, and we're going to have, uh, as, as Leanne mentioned, we're going to have two more sermons in the following weeks. And we were given an email, and we had these sequential uh, ch- uh, portions of scripture from Mark that we could choose from. Well, one of the other elders, his name is Graham. Um, I feel like, yeah, that is funny. I feel like, I feel like he constantly refreshes his email browser because this dude scooped up the greatest commandment, love your neighbor, love yourself. Come on, Graham, I could preach on that all day, dude. Get out of here. So as time went on and I read my scripture and I did some more studying, I'm actually really happy that I got this portion of scripture and I've learned a lot. I think part of the reason that I didn't wanna do this one at first is because Mark 12, 18 through 27, which I've heard, I didn't really know what this scripture meant. I knew the Sadducees were bad guys, right? Like we know the Sadducees are, uh, they were the leaders in Israel and they were bad guys and they weren't quite as bad as the Pharisees who were the really bad guys. So Sadducees were the pseudo bad guys in the Sanhedrin, which is uh, the, ruling, uh, the ruling council over uh, Roman Judea at the time. What I didn't know is that they were asking this weird question, right? It's a weird question as a way to trick Jesus. The Sadducees were trying to be clever and come up with a way to get Jesus to prove that they were wrong, that they were right, and he was wrong. 
What they don't know is that they're trying to trick God, so it doesn't work. When my wife and I first got married, we didn't know each other very well. And I, like, no, every, I know a lot of people say that, like, oh, you don't really know each other. No, like, we really didn't know each other. We dated for a short period of time, and then we did it. Um, and that's a crazy model. Don't do that, but that's what God called us to. And um, so in the first year of marriage, I learned a lot. And one of the things I learned about my wife was that she likes true crime shows. Uh, more specifically, she likes true crime shows about murder. Uh, and even more specifically, she likes the ones that uh, the wife murders the husband, which <laughs> is a newlywed, super concerning. <laughs> like, I might be in danger. I really thought I might be in danger. Well, I learned to like those shows too. And one thing I learned from watching all these shows is that if I were Jesus and the Sadducees came to me and they're like, hey, Jesus, this lady, she marries a dude and then that guy dies and so she marries his brother, not in a weird way Moses told us to, that guy dies, so then she marries the next one. That happens seven times. Uh, Jesus, whose wife is she gonna be in heaven? If I were Jesus, I would have said, that lady's not going to heaven because she murdered all those guys. <laughs> because in this scenario, if that actually happened, she definitely did it, right? Yeah. But Jesus doesn't do that because one, nobody knows what Netflix is at that time. And two, Jesus knows that what the Sadducees are doing is they're trying to trick him with a question about a hot button issue, which was the resurrection. And they're trying to use this question as a way to reaffirm their own worldview and to prove that they had the right idea and that Jesus had the wrong idea. And Jesus rebukes them immediately and he says, is this not the reason you're wrong because you know neither the scripture, but also you don't know the power of God. His point is that they not only had a bad interpretation of the scripture, but the real problem was that they had a bad interpretation of the scripture and they didn't understand the power of God. The Sadducees were so caught up in their own opinions that they missed the son of God standing right in front of their face. Can you guys imagine people doing that today? getting so caught up or fixated on an opinion or an issue or a hot button topic that they miss the son of God. If you look at any Facebook post that's even somewhat divisive in the comment section, you will see how we as a culture will dehumanize and we will devalue other eternal souls who are made in the image of God over our opinions, over our preferences, over things that are temporary. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to conform to our ideas of what the world should be. He didn't come to conform to our religious, political, or ideological worldviews. He didn't come to uh, do any of that. In fact, Jesus came and he blew the walls off of any box that they tried to put him into. So what point were these Sadducees trying to make, right? Well, for that, we need to, um, we need to get some background on who the Sadducees were. Uh, I was a good Christian boy for about 12 years before I wasn't. And at, during those years, I went to Sunday school and VBS. Did you guys ever do that? Some of you, maybe? Okay, that's fine if you didn't. Real Christians did. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and one thing that uh, when I went to uh, VBS or Sunday school, we would sing a song about how naughty these guys were, right? These Sadducees, they were bad guys. But literally what the song said was, I don't want to be a Sadducee because... You guys are amazing Christian people, and I have confidence in your salvation. Also, we didn't want to be Pharisees because they weren't. Thank you. Fair, you see. Yeah, fair, you see. Uh, so anyways, that song was wrong because there was a lot more going on with the Sadducees other than them just being sad. 
The Sadducees were actually the ruling faction of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was the governing council of the Jewish people who lived in Rome and Judea, essentially a 70-man supreme court, um, and that was ruling over Israel at the time in Rome and Judea in Rome. And they were generally wealthy. They were aristocratic. These Sadducees were pragmatists, and they were far more concerned with politics than anything to do with God. The Sadducees explicitly only accepted the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, which was written by Moses as scripture, and they rejected all of the oral tradition and the rules that the, um, that the Pharisees were in favor of. They were also highly in favor of Hellenization, and what that is is the Romanization or the secularization of the Jewish people. You can think, and don't let me lose you here, because I'm, I'm going to hit, I'm throwing rocks at everybody. You can think liberal, secular, humanist with Jewish heritage, okay? So to contrast, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees, oh, they believed in the, the traditions and they believed that they, could, uh, they were the only ones who could make it close to God and be spiritual and be righteous enough to actually be loved by God by strictly following all the rules that they had put into place. Also, the Pharisees were anxious to be a separatist uh, political entity. They wanted Israel to separate they didn't want to be Hellenized. They didn't want to be secularized. They wanted to be separated, and they wanted to be ruled by a politically savvy Messiah who would come and implement law based on their beliefs. They wanted to make Israel great again. Don't let me lose you. But, okay. Both ideological sides of the Sanhedrin, they loved to fight and argue about the parameters of the box in which their worldview existed, right? Little blue box, little red box. And these guys were so adamant and concerned about proving their correctness that it was one of the biggest issues for Israel at this time. Their worldview, hear me out, the worldview did not just form their opinions about God, their boxes, their worldview functionally was their God. <laughs> when I first started writing the sermon, I wasn't sure how to talk about this stuff without making the um, obvious political correlations. Um, it would almost be dishonest to not at least address the similarities to our culture now um, in our society in America. But as I thought about it more, God started to show me something else that resonated uh, more, more profoundly in me. Um, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're really great examples of what happens when we place political preferences, ideologies, and beliefs above the spiritual, above our faith in God. But um, they're really easy to throw rocks at, right? Uh, stupid, liberal Sadducees, you know, didn't even believe in God. Or like, oh, self-righteous Pharisees, like those guys, man, I can't stand those guys. But I felt God leading me to something else. I didn't feel like he was calling me just to sit here or stand here and rail against Facebook warriors and uh, people on the internet. Because what God is always concerned about is the heart. God began to show me something. It's that I want to rail on the Pharisees so hard because I'm, in a way, serving my own little Sadducee agenda, right? We have little Sadducees and little Pharisees living in me, living in you guys that need to be addressed. And then what's really interesting is my desire, that my instinct to throw rocks at these guys is actually indicative of the same heart condition that we see from the Sadducees in this scripture, right? Oh, I don't like self-righteous people. This is me. Oh, I don't like them Sadducees. I don't like that self-righteous spirit. I don't like that religious spirit. And I'm pretty self-righteous about not being self-righteous. It's issues of the heart that God wants to address. The Sadducees were asking a ridiculous question.
So when I talk about the resurrection, you can think not just, you can think God, the afterlife, uh, you can think the supernatural, anything that couldn't be proven with what is seen, anything that couldn't be argued with logic. You gotta remember, these guys are essentially secular humanists. Um, and at that time in the Sanhedrin, the resurrection being real or not was a hot button issue, hot button issue. You can think abortion, racism, gender identity, hot button. It was a dividing line. It wasn't like tax code, it was a big issue and it separated the ideology of the people. It was an issue on which the people in Roman Judea were staking their hope in the future. It was an issue that served as a symbol of their cherished worldview, which was functionally, as I said, their God. Jesus says that, yeah, you're wrong about the resurrection. You're wrong. There is, a, there is an afterlife. There is a heaven, a hell. The supernatural does exist. But the bigger, more important issue is that you don't understand the power of God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hated Jesus for it. They hated Jesus so much that they set aside their hot button issues. Think, like I said, sorry, think abortion, think gender identity. They set those issues to the side to accomplish a single task. They came together on one task, and that was to murder Jesus because he wouldn't go along with the status quo and he wasn't gonna fit into the boxes that they made. That's a big deal. Think about it, hot button issue. Can you imagine setting aside those big issues to come together to silence the voice of Jesus because he won't conform to our worldview. When we become more concerned about the manifestation of our preferences, of our ideas, of our beliefs, and uh, if God starts to close the door on some of that stuff, or we start to sense that maybe God's sovereign will is opposing what I thought was right, the instinct, if we're not careful, can be to silence that voice of Jesus, just like the Sadducees did, just like the Pharisees did. Hey, and it's not just the big ideological issues either. Let me say, it's anything that we've convinced ourselves is right. Anything that I, it could be a job, it could be a ministry, it could be a relationship with a guy or with a girl um, that you wanna pursue. And it's anything that we use our own minds and our own hearts to declare to ourselves that this is what I have determined is right for me, right? I've used my mind and my heart to decide and to declare this is, this is what's right. And if we're not careful, the inclination can be, if God starts to oppose us, to silence that voice. Isaiah 55, eight through 10 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I spent some time in Los Angeles living in an old dilapidated nunnery with a bunch of dudes. Yeah, that is weird. Uh, so let me, let me unpack that. <laughs> you guys are gonna let me just keep going with that. Like, yeah, that seems like a thing that would happen. You know, it's weird, we can acknowledge that. So I spent some time at the Los Angeles Dream Center. What the Dream Center is, it's a place where guys and girls can go for about a year and uh, if it's for guys who have problems that are preventing them, often addiction, sometimes just something crippling, financial or divorce, uh, alcoholism, things like that, that. It's a place where you can go for a year to get yourself back on your feet. And um, some of you don't know my story, but I, I was there about seven years ago. And I spent some time there. 
And I lived in a building that was a nunnery, as I said, with two other grown men in a room that was designed for a single nun in a three-tiered bunk bed that I'm pretty sure was violating every health code and every like safety like you know statute or whatever. And we lived in these little rooms and the building was built mid-century, but it wasn't like mid-century modern. It was, uh, it was like mid-century haunted <laughs> by ghost nuns. Probably, I don't know. And at bedtime, as three grown men living in a single nun room in a nunnery in the middle of downtown LA, we had a little bit of a routine. Uh, so every night, you know, we'd braid each other's hair, uh, maybe a tickle fight if we were feeling crazy, and we would chat. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we would braid each other. No, we would talk. We would chat. And uh, at night, there was a lot, like the whole day would unfold because, I mean, the, the days were long at the, uh, at the old Dream Center. And I had this, I had this roommate, his, I'll call him Jonathan for this story. And Jonathan was like, he was a pretty unsettling dude. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to use this as an example. Like, you know that feeling when you see a pit bull nearby? And I'm not taking a stance on pit bulls. I like pit bulls. This isn't about, sermon's not about pit bulls. <laughs> Hear me out. So, I, you know that feeling when you see a big dog? Maybe it is a pit bull. And you make eye contact. And you don't know that dog. And you don't know that dog's owner. You know, and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen now. <laughs> like, this could go, this could go any way. That's the kind of feeling that I got when I made eye contact with Jonathan. Uh, just deeply unsettled and uncertain about what was about to happen. Uh, it could go either way. And uh, over time, I learned to love Jonathan. And I learned that um, he was just, he was an interesting dude, but, uh, you know, he was trying his best. And I got over my, my initial fear of eye contact with him. And we became rather close. And at nighttime, as I said, after our hair was braided and we were all tucked in, um, we would talk and he would talk about the things that God had showed him throughout the day and told him. And God talked to this dude a lot about very specific things. And I refuse to be cynical and I believe that the Lord speaks today. But I often wondered, like, are these audible voices? Like, do they ever tell you to hurt me or anything? <laughs> But they weren't. What they were is they were enhanced feelings. And what's interesting is that God was always confirming to Jonathan the thing that he so happened to want in that moment. And it was always about a girl that God told him that he was definitely going to get to marry. And at this time, by the way, we, I mean, Jonathan was in no condition to date, let alone marry. But um, it was just interesting that God was always confirming to him the thing that he just also so happened to want. Anybody like that? Like God's always just like confirming maybe that guy, that girl, they're, they're always getting confirmation. God's always telling them that they're about to get this thing. And it just always happens to be the thing that they want really, really bad. You ever done that? And I have. It's human nature to love Jesus the most and to praise him the loudest when he's affirming the thing that I want, when he's affirming the thing that I believe, and when he's affirming my opinion and the way that I want others to see me. It's easy to believe God uh, and to praise him vehemently for a job opportunity when you know there's a good paycheck on the other end of that. And it's easy for me to talk about Jonathan from the Dream Center, but I'm just as guilty of this all the time. It's easy to thank God when you just won the Super Bowl. I never won one. 
but I think it would be. But what about when his will turns out to be something that isn't our will? What about when Jesus begins to close doors on the path that we had determined and declared to ourselves was right? Yeah. What about when our pride gets hurt? And it seems like, man, maybe God's plan isn't the thing that I thought it was. Or maybe God's opinion is something different than what my opinion is. Psalms 51, 16 and 17 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. It's in those moments when things seem to be falling apart. It's in the moments when we're uncertain about what's gonna happen. It's in the moments that it seems like God's sovereign will is directing us away from what our will is. And then it's how we treat people. It's how we treat the people that are opposing our agenda. It's how we treat people who are on the other side of the hot button issues in our culture today. That's a sacrifice of praise from a broken and contrite heart. And as we just read in Psalms, God will never despise or turn away a praise that comes from that heart condition. The power of God that was absent from the Sadducees' worldview, that's the power of God that gives us the ability to love those on the other side. So in the same way that the Sadducees and the Pharisees set aside their hot button issues to come together to kill Jesus, we've been given a new nature and we're called to set aside our opinions on those things, but not to kill Jesus, to love him, to declare him, to show his love to the world around us. Jesus didn't come to empower or validate our beliefs. He came to blow the roof off. I spent some time on Skid Row uh, in Los Angeles as a missionary. No, not really, as a, just as a dude living down there. Uh, yeah, so if some of you don't know me, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a season in my life. And I made some interesting observations about the people down there. And I guarantee you, I was probably a pretty interesting dude to observe at certain times also. Um, there are certain things you realize, like uh, you, you can't bum anything off of people in that part of downtown because nobody has extra of anything. You just don't bother asking. Also, the further east you go, uh, the, like, probably like the worse the drug problem is. And also, one thing that's really interesting is that people in, downtown, in that part of downtown LA, in Skid Row, uh, the homeless people in particular uh, tend to talk to themselves constantly. Um, so, you, you know, the dudes are just walking down the street like, you give me 50 cents, I don't have 50 cents. If I wouldn't give you 50 cents if I had 50 cents. I don't know what they were talking about. I just assumed it was getting 50 cents. But, um, and so I can say that because I was one of them. Like, if you saw me down there walking around at this time in my life, you'd probably think that I was talking to myself. When in actuality, I was practicing my horse wraps. You guys know horse wraps? So for a season in my life, I was convinced that my calling was to be a comedy rapper who rapped songs and made albums from the point of view of a horse. Horse wraps. You guys know horse wraps. No, you don't because it's not a thing. Horse wraps. So... I, get, I tell you that to give you an idea of where I was at at the time. 
And while I was down there, I came across a very special type of person down there who I'll call Scooterman, Scooterman. And Scooterman was a very special type of person that you see in the Skid Row area. Scooterman had a scooter. Scooterman wore a very fancy Speedo, that's Speedo in English. Scooterman had a big beard, long hair, a big smile, and nothing else. And Speedo Man was going off, y'all, like, like normal people down there, like, we're talking to ourselves, you know, but this dude, he's going crazy. He's, like, getting it. And in my state of mind, I was like, hold up, I'm going to put these horse wraps on the back burner. I, I need to hear what Scooter Man's talking about, because at that time, I was like, this dude might have something that I need in my life moving forward. He might have information for me. And when I got close enough, this dude was quoting Romans, like, word for word. Scooter Man was going off and quoting word for word Romans. Okay, and laughing like hysterically in between. Not at the funny, there's no real funny parts in Romans, but he was, he found, Scooter Man could find something to laugh about. Scooter Man had the knowledge of the Bible. Scooter Man, or Scooterman, could lead a Bible study if he would just put on some pants. And that's the thing about ministry. You gotta have pants every time. It's number one rule. Thank you. What seemed to be missing was the power of God. See, scripture alone, apart from the power of God, becomes destructive. This is why when you see people on the internet using scripture in a way to confirm their opinion or their belief or their politics in an argument, closer to God. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's one of the most destructive and damning forces in modern culture. Hear me. Weaponized scripture or scripture that's being utilized for any purpose other than singularly and exclusively giving Jesus Christ glory and to love our neighbors is misused. It's misspent. It'll come back void and it'll bite you on the butt. Poppy thought that was funny. I've always loved food. I'm going to talk about food one more time. Uh, when I was little, and I was kind of a weird little dude, and I loved food, and I was a weird little dude who loved food in a weird little way. Uh, oh, that was interesting. So I, for a season, about six months, ate nothing but planters brand cheese puff balls. And uh, it was a problem. My parents got my grandparents involved. The doctors got involved. Uh, my parents were reading a book called uh, Strong-Willed Child by a guy named James Dobson, who was a Christian author in the 80s. And he had them, like, spanking my butt with a wooden spoon, like, you will, you know, eat something other than a Cheeto, dude. <laughs> um, and they, they were trying everything they did. And the doctors, like, bribe them, you know, starve them out. They did all that. And I was like, that's fine. I just won't eat then. And eventually the doctor's like, all right, man, uh, I guess just, like, I guess let them eat the Cheetos because, uh, He's, he has to eat something. So I won that round. <laughs> then a little later in my life, we were in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and I was hungry, and uh, we went to a restaurant, American food, nothing weird, but uh, we were sitting there, and I saw that they were serving the food on green plates, and I lost it. I was like, green plates? What do I look like, a freak? Like, I would never eat off of a green plate. That's sick. Uh, I don't know why. And my parents were like, that, 
<laughs> my parents were like, yeah, that's fine. You just won't eat. So I didn't eat. I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'm not eating off a green plate. That's disgusting. Um, it is kind of gross though, if you think about it, right? Um, and I told my wife that story because I was like, this is, this is kind of applicable. And she's like, yeah, you know, like a lot of little kids, they just will eat off of like one plate or they have like a specific cup and they'll only drink out of that cup. And I was like, yeah, I was 13 when this story happened. <laughs> and I've gone back and forth on whether or not I would share that because it's embarrassing and ridiculous. But hear me out. The Sadducees here are refusing to see the Son of God right in front of their face because they're so fixated on something stupid that doesn't matter. And if we're not careful, that can be us too. Too focused on the stuff of this world to see God. The Sadducees, they're trying to trap Jesus in a rhetorical and stupid argument. And they have no idea that they're talking to the Son of God who's right in front of their face. Jesus, King of Kings. If we're using our lens of the world, we're only concerned about the issues that resonate inside of us. If we're only striving for the goals that we envision, apart from the guidance direction of Scripture and the Holy Spirit, that will never bring us closer to our purpose and it will never bring us into God's will for our lives. Refusing to eat because we don't like green plates. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 2, just the first six verses. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in fear and weakness and in much trembling. And my, mess, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Hear that. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, not on Facebook. Among the mature, not on Twitter. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it or they wouldn't have crucified the king of glory. <laughs> when we get caught up in wisdom that is unique to our age, and Paul says is doomed to pass away, we can miss out on the secret, on the hidden kingdom, wisdom, that comes from God. If Jesus were here today, he would shake this country up. He wouldn't fit in any of the boxes that we've made for him. Amen? That's true. Paul is saying the same thing here to the Corinthians. He's acknowledging that, hey, worldly wisdom, it's not bad. It's not incorrect. It can be helpful if imparted to the mature. Hey, uh, wisdom can be winsome and it can be helpful and it can be uh, intelligent and well thought out. But hey, even with all that, it can still miss the mark of the secret wisdom that comes from the kingdom of God. That's the thing about secrets. If we're too busy clamoring for our rights about our opinions concerned with our preferences, if we're too busy clamoring for our rights, we can miss out on the secret wisdom from the kingdom of God. 
We have to be quiet to hear secrets. We've got to get quiet to hear the secret. It's like we're, you know, when we fixate on the wrong things, it's like we're on a cruise ship with all-you-can-eat buffet, and we're just eating crackers. We're just so fixated on this one thing. But Jesus wants us to grow and to thrive and to learn and to draw ever near to him. So this morning, as we close, I'd like us to ask ourselves, are there areas of our lives relationship, um, that guy, that girl, that ministry, be a ministry that we've been so cocksure about and we've been so confident that we're right about that maybe we've not given the Holy Spirit the room to impart secret wisdom? Are there certain issues on politics, social issues that we're so convinced that we're right, that we're so certain about that maybe we don't get, and hey, I'm not saying that your opinions are wrong. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is sometimes we got to get quiet to hear something else. Are there any areas in our lives, the big issues, the little issues that we're elevating in importance to the point that we can't even see Jesus, the son of God, when he's standing right in front of our face. As I close, what I want for us to do this morning is to consider that secret and hidden kingdom. And as we uh, close up, let's make a little room in our mind and our heart and think about that. And let's ask God to lower the importance of anything that is blocking our vision of him. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are a God that rules over a hidden kingdom, Lord, and that you impart wisdom that is not unique to this age, but that you have wisdom that is eternal. And I pray that we would see the eternal, Lord, and that we would not be fixated on the temporal, that we would grow closer to you, and that you would inspire our hearts towards more faith every day. Uh, thank you for all these people here today, and I pray that we go out of here um, encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen.